0: What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. So right now, in 2023, we are living deep in the construct of race. You know, white, Black, Indigenous, people of color, etc. And as much as we identify with and relate to each other based on these categories, there was a time when none of it was really a thing. But we don't talk about that period very much. So how did people just live in their respective lives, as they do, get organized into this racial hierarchy that we live in now? Well, there's a community of scholars committed to answering that question. From a period of time from about 1100
1: to 1800, we're arguing that race was made through image and text. It was different from race today. But pre-modern racemaking and the stereotypes from that period are still truly with us today.
0: Leah Markey is one of them. She's the director of the Center for Renaissance Studies at the Newberry Library. She and Noemi Ndi, who's an associate professor of English at the University of Chicago, research and write about how people related to one another before the concept of race was ever a factor, and what led to how we currently differentiate ourselves according to race. There is so much to this. Noemi and Leah co-edited a book on the subject, and they also created an exhibition along with a few other scholars that just opened at the Newberry Library. It's called Seeing Race Before Race. I went to see it, and it was very illuminating, even for me. And I think about race constantly. Leah and Noemi are here to talk more about their work and the exhibition. Noemi, Leah, welcome to The Rundown. Thank you. Hello. So this exhibition looks at the medieval Renaissance periods, um, and it centers the expertise of BIPOC scholars, Black and Indigenous people of color. Um, am I right in assuming that BIPOC scholars would be pretty marginalized in this field?
2: In <laughs> in in Shakespeare studies, yes. Okay. In premodern critical race studies, no, okay. because they launched the field, <laughs> right, uh, and cultivated it and are trying to um, lift as they climb.
0: Okay. Um,
2: so, yeah, the the goal of, of Race Before Race is to uh, make sure that this the sense of marginalization is, you know, gone for good, and we are prioritizing um, the scholarship of BIPOC. Got you. BIPOC folks.
0: There is a section of the exhibit that talks about performing race. And that one was like one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. So there are these games where players would have acted as characters of different races, um, which is so resonant when you think about video games. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, uh, The concept of white people performing whiteness comes up. Um, What were some of the primary points you wanted to get across with this section?
2: Mm. That's a really good one. Okay, I think we were really interested in the notion of the performance of whiteness, right? Because whiteness, the term, that that term really the notion of white people is something that we find in writing for the first time in 1613 in the English language, in a play <laughs> by Thomas Middleton. So this, this I think, is really a signal that whiteness is its not a given. It, we tend to think of it as a given, the neutral, the default, right? This invisible thing that precisely because we don't talk about it is taken as the norm by default. And that's the problem. That's how it allows whiteness to regulate everything, be the norm, uh, and be actually on top of the food chain, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to do with those items that we're focusing in particular on Cosmetics, cosmetic practices um, that were used by by English uh, women was to show how there was a deliberate attempt by those folks whom we would now (laughs) call white, but who were just, you know, European folks at the time um, to Mm -hmm. to uh, self fashion themselves as white and um, to self fashion themselves as folks with all the attendant privileges, social Mm -hmm. privileges that would come with with whiteness. One piece (laughs)
0: that was extremely stark to me was the map Mm -hmm. of Africa, Africa on Display. Mm -hmm. Um, It was by a French cartographer. And I'm just going to describe the map a little bit. It is a huge map. Um, It has images and text that display the regions and people of Africa through that cartographer's eyes. Um, There are Africans doing the activities of their various regions and lifestyles at the time, farming, bathing, socializing. And then what hit me was the depiction of Europeans also in those areas doing their leisurely activities and socializing as well alongside the Africans. Um, I wonder if you could give a sense of your interpretation of what the artist was aiming to do with this map.
1: Mm. that's a great question I think there's a there's a, a lot of incentives in the production of that map so produced for a royal court in France in the late 17th century is really to show off this colonial territory and all the resources and the people living there um which is and we really have been thinking about it as a colonial map and there's a great essay in our book about it and we'll have a program about it as well I should put a plug for that um but what's interesting is we had a renowned scholar come and talk to us and uh, with Noemi in a public program a few weeks ago, Olivette mm-hmm. Otele, and um, she's French of uh, African descent. And when she looked at the map, she was just so thrilled to see the, the word Royam. Am mm-hmm. I saying that right? Kingdom. Kingdom throughout the map, oh. which is something we didn't notice, which indicates that these kingdoms are still alive and vibrant and that Europeans are thinking about them as As kingdoms, kingdoms. which maybe a century later was not the case at all. Mm -hmm. So this is a map when Africa still had some power. Can can we say that? Mm -hmm. Um, When Europeans are looking upon it, though, differently.
2: I I would add... um we're getting back to the question of the tension, you know, which is always what what is of interest to us like for each item which shows we'll be looking for the tension within because mm-hmm. the tension is the is the aesthetic form of contradiction mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and racism always hinges on contradiction so in that map, you have that recognition of the political sovereignty through the word kingdom, and at the same time when you look at the con- <laughs> what the map actually says about uh, different African people the racism is blatant, right? Mm. So you have this attempt at bringing down people while at the same time recognizing that, well, this is a work in progress because they do have political sovereignty. And I felt that those tensions manifest in all the maps that we had in that section of the exhibition. Mm. To me, the map, is it's giving a tourism ad. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, it's giving like, come through, yeah. you know, this is what it's about. You know like this it. is what you can get into, yeah this I is. think
1: that's definitely at play there, and I think your point initially that you know there are the white bodies and the and the African bodies together interacting, and that that's supposed to potentially be like this is what you'll find there, this happy uh, ideal space in, in some. Places. But at the same time, you see there are scenes of conversion um, and control and power being exerted. So yeah. and again, that tension is is there.
2: Yeah, and note that that map was created just around the time when uh, France produced the Code Noir, right, which was the first code created by Europeans to legislate on every aspect of the life of the enslaved in the French colonies. Wow.
0: Right? Okay. So the map could have been a part of the... The making of colonization tools. Right. It's part of that new way of thinking about blackness. Uh Wow. Um, So there's this timeline of race making on the walls, which is in the second room. And the whole thing seems to lean toward the making of what is considered black versus white. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can talk about, first of all, if that was the intention. Mm -hmm. um, And secondly, uh, setting up the timeline and deciding what to focus on.
1: Yeah, we had a lot of discussions about that timeline. And uh, I think we didn't intend it to be a story about black and white. And we, in fact, we tried to do the opposite and to show, uh, to tell the global story through that timeline, which we felt we weren't able to do as well through the objects. So it's interesting that that's mm-hmm. your read on it. Hmm. But we wanted to begin with the
0: Crusades. Why Why start with the Crusades? Why start at that one moment?
1: Yeah, um, Um, well, that seems to be really one of the the major moments when race making begins, when Mm. power is exerted over others and forced conversion is happening. Um, And that is what also leads to colonization. I think we think that race making begins with colonization, but uh, we're finding that it's much, much earlier. So we did want to tell the story with at this earlier
2: moment. If I can add something yeah. uh, about the crusades, I'm thinking about the scholarship of Geraldine Hang, mm-hmm. who's a, you know, a very well-known medievalist working on the question of the global Middle Ages. So Geraldine Hang has this article in which she is showing very compellingly how anytime you have a crusade, uh, and so you have Europeans leaving Europe to go fight Muslim others of mm-hmm. you know various uh, skin tones mm-hmm. out there, at the same time at home, you have anti-Semitic massacres. Right. They always they they go hand in Mm -hmm. hand. Right. Something happens outside of Europe at the same time. You have more oppression of the present minority. And I think this connectedness of different forms of racism is something we're trying to to show really hard. We included that beautiful image of Romani people who were at the time known as gypsy. It's it's a racial slur. I'm just using it for clarity. Um, We are trying to uh, feature folks from Southeast Asia as well in in the exhibition. But it's true. I'm sure you remember, Leah, that when I first saw the exhibition in the big room, um, I was like, we're really focused on blackness. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved, um, this is, this is my field. I love it. <laughs> I'm all about it. Uh, but I think, um, what it says is that the case of blackness is just so particularly visible mm. in the archives and so exemplary right yeah. of what a powerful racial formation with a long lasting effect looks like that somehow those are the you know introductory examples that just came to us when we were trying to convey very mm-hmm. clearly what was happening but also interesting in that opening room that is focused on blackness is that you see the connectedness we actually have a bunch of materials in that opening room that feature an afro indigenous connection mm-hmm. We have the the Barbados, the Barbados um, yeah. uh, docu- documents in that room, where you see that the the colonial officials are really really concerned about the possibility of enslaved Black people and local indigenous populations coming together. Mm-hmm. Like you get a sense that if they come together, there will be no stopping them. Mm-hmm. Right? So we do have those those threads of of resistance. Sorry that that come with connectedness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Zooming out. Um,
0: including and, and also beyond uh, the exhibition, in your research and writing and curating, have you come across civilizations that were looking at things through what I might describe now as a more progressive or less oppressive way of distinguishing distinguishing people around the world? Hmm. Noemi, why don't you? That's a tough question. <laughs> it's a
2: tough. It's a good question. That's a great it's question. It's a tough question because to answer it, we would need to have a form of knowledge mm-hmm. that we are precluded from having because of disciplinary silos, Yes, right? interesting. Okay. I, I'm, a, I'm a comparativist, right? I'm looking at English materials and Spanish materials and French materials, and people are like, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> but that's actually fairly limited, right? That's still very wide European forms of knowledge, right? Large archive, but that's what mm-hmm. it is. And I'm sure that knowledge is available. There are scholars who have that knowledge, but they're not necessarily working on race, right. and they're not yet in conversation with the field of pre-modern critical race studies and us. If you hear us, and that is you, please find us. We would love to connect and collaborate.
1: Wow. But also, we just don't know the motivations of the people from the past. As much as we can read about them and read their writing and see their images— We'll never know. We have to, you know, suspend belief and imagine a lot to mm-hmm. to tell these stories. And this is something I struggle with a lot in my own research, because I like to think that I wrote a book about the Medici in the Americas and I looked at what they collected from the Americas, and and like to think that they conserved this culture, that they were actively curators and wanted to take care of the objects, the feather paintings and the codices, but. We'll never know what they really thought. Maybe they were hoarding them and, you know, trying to gain these objects for power. So it's really difficult to know the motivations. So I'd love to think that there were some progressive thinkers in the past who were hoping to, you know, make connections to others in positive ways. But yeah. Yeah.
0: I think I was having that hope too. That's why I wrote the question. I was like, dang, like, was there anybody that was resisting this? without necessarily knowing what it could be or what it could become, or maybe they, I don't know, um, did know and, and were are resisting it. Um, okay. The show and the book are both have this, this title seeing race before race. Um, but I want to talk about how things have shaken out today, right now, 2023 these days, we think we have these clear distinctions. Um, when it comes to race, but we really don't, right? Depending on where you are, as a light-skinned Lebanese American, for instance, you could be considered white, or you could be, could be considered non-white. Um, how does it come up for you today when you think about how? Yes, now we're at this place now where we have this word race, and we mm-hmm. have these you know these different categories and how we identify or don't identify. But it, it's it's still not as defined as we we have decided that it is, yeah. right? And so I just, I wonder if there's a through line that comes up for you there where, you know, there was a time and we didn't have these and now that we do, it's still complicated.
2: You know, in that in that time period in pre-modernity, you know, initially when people were using the word race, they were not at all talking about, skin tone for instance right they were initially talking about religion right that was imagined as something essential hereditary it's mm-hmm. in the blood conversion is not going to be meaningful because somehow it's in the blood right so that was a very that that's what race the word race first meant to people at the time uh, another meaning of the word race had to do with what we we would read as class right um so do you have blue blood are you an aristocrat? Do you have those essential qualities that will be passed on and that no one can buy with their new their new money, right? Mm. Only old money. So, and then in the 16th century, race actually came to be, um, you know, the meaning was extended to talk about something like phenotype, what we recognize as race today. But I, but I think we are trying to bring those, those stories together, at least the religious and phenotypical uh, mm-hmm. thread of those stories together in the exhibition. And the payoff of it is that, when you realize that over over the course of the last you know seven, eight centuries, the meaning of race has changed so much, you realize that race is a power of structure. It is deeply opportunistic. The content of, of race is going to change over time because it's always about upholding hierarchies, right? Hierarchies that are old or that are new, that are emergent, right? I think it's much more useful to think of what race does than to think of what race is. And when you focus on what race does, then the payoff for the present is that it makes you look at the power structures, right? Who benefits from this? Who benefits from this uh, light-skinned Lebanese person being called white in that specific moment? Who benefits from them being called brown in that different setting, right? What is the power structure that is being upheld or made there?
1: And just thinking about what's going on in Israel right now, and issues of race are tied into that as well, Um, and that is connected to religion and going back to things that happened
0: centuries and centuries ago. Noemi Ndi is an associate professor of English at the University of Chicago. And Leah Markey is the director of the Center for Renaissance Studies at the Newberry Library. Leah and Noemi, thank you. Thank Thank you. You. Thank you. They co-edited the book, Seeing Race Before Race, Visual Culture and the Racial Matrix in a Premodern World. And they worked with a few scholars to co-create the exhibit, Seeing Race Before Race, It's at the Newberry Library until late December and is free. You can get the hours and more information about it at newberry.org. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Ethan Schwab was the engineer for this episode. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Network. If you love the show, please rate and review us. It helps more people find the rundown. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday.